Hello, this is Father John Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 37th installment on Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. 133 talks prepared by Pope John Paul II to be presented during the five years 1979 through 1984. We're indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we're using. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. To show in what this fulfillment consists, he goes on to the individual commandments and comes also to the one that says, You shall not commit adultery. The last meditation had the aim of showing how the true content of this commandment willed by God was darkened by many compromises in the particular legislation of Israel. The prophets, who often denounce in their teaching the abandonment of the true God, Yahweh, by the people, comparing it to adultery, bring out this content in the most authentic way not only by words, but, as it seems, also by his behavior, Hosea seeks to reveal to us, see chapters 1 through 3 of Hosea, that the people's betrayal is similar to betrayal in marriage, or even more to adultery practiced in the form of prostitution. Go, take a prostitute for yourself as wife, and have children of prostitution, for the land does nothing but prostitute itself by going away from the Lord. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. The prophet feels this command in himself, and accepts it as coming from God Yahweh. The Lord said to me again, Go, love a woman who is loved by another, and is an adulteress, Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. For although Israel is as unfaithful toward its God as the bride who chased after her lovers and forgot me, Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, nevertheless Yahweh does not stop looking for his bride. He does not grow tired of waiting for her to return and come back, and he confirms this attitude by the prophet's words and actions. And on that day, word of the Lord, you will call me my husband and will no longer call me my master, my Baal. I will make you my bride forever. I will make you my bride in righteousness and in justice, in goodness and in love. I will make you my bride in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Hosea chapter 2, verse 18, verses 21 through 22. This ardent call for the conversion of the unfaithful bride and wife goes hand in hand with the following threat, that her remove from her face the signs of her prostitution and the signs of adultery from between her breast, or I will strip her all naked and expose her as on the day she was born. Hosea chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. The prophet Ezekiel reminds Israel, the unfaithful bride, in even greater measure of this image of the humiliating nakedness of birth. Like a repugnant object, you were thrown out in the open field on the day you were born. I passed near you while you were flailing about in your blood, and I said to you, Live in your blood and grow up like a plant of the field. You grew up and became tall and arrived at the flower of youth. Your breast blossomed and you reached puberty, but you were naked and bare. 
I passed near you again and looked on you. You were at the age for love. I spread the edge of my cloak over you and covered your nakedness. I swore a covenant with you, says the Lord God, and you became mine. I put a ring on your nose, earrings in your ear, and a beautiful crown on your head. You were adorned with gold and silver, while your clothing was of fine linen, rich fabric, and embroidered cloth. Your fame spread among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect due to the glory I placed in you. But you, infatuated with your beauty, and profiting from your fame, played the whore, and lavished your favors on any passerby. How degraded is your heart, says the Lord God, that you did all these things, the deeds of a shameless whore. Building your high place in every square, you were not like a prostitute in search of payment, but like an adulterous wife who, instead of her husband, receives strangers. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 5 through 8, 12 through 15, 30 through 32. Covenant. The quote is somewhat long, but the text is so important that it was necessary to recall it. It expresses the analogy between adultery and idolatry in a particularly strong and comprehensive way. The point of likeness between the two sides of the analogy consists in the covenant accompanied by love. Out of love, God, Yahweh, makes the covenant with Israel without any merit on its part. For Israel, he becomes a bridegroom and husband who is most affectionate, attentive, and generous toward his bride. For this love which has accompanied Israel since the dawn of history, Yahweh, the bridegroom, receives many betrayals in exchange. The high places, those places of idolatrous worship, in which the adultery of Israel, the bride, is committed, see 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 7, Hosea chapter 10, verse 8. In the analysis we are conducting here, the essential point is the concept of adultery used by Ezekiel. One can say, however, that the situation into which the concept has been inserted in the framework of the analogy is on the whole not typical. Here we are not dealing with a mutual choice made by the bride and the bridegroom, which is born from reciprocal love, but with the choice of the bride, which was made already from the moment of her birth, a choice that comes from the bridegroom's love, which is an act of sheer mercy on the bridegroom's part. The choice shows itself in this way. It corresponds to the part of the analogy that describes the covenant of Yahweh with Israel. It corresponds less to its second part, which defines the nature of marriage. The mentality of that time was certainly not very sensitive to this reality. For Israelites, marriage was rather the result of a one-sided choice, a choice often made by the parents, but such a situation is hard for us to understand. Leaving aside this detail, it is impossible to overlook that the text of the prophets reveal a different meaning of adultery than the legislative tradition gives it. Adultery is sin because it is the breaking of the personal covenant between the man and the woman. 
What is emphasized in the legislative texts is the violation of property rights, and in the first place of the husband's property right to the woman, who though she is his legal wife is one among many. In the texts of the prophets, the background of effective and legalized polygamy does not change the ethical meaning of adultery. In many texts, monogamy seems to be the only right analogy of monotheism understood in the categories of the covenant, that is, of faithfulness and trust in the only true God, Yahweh, Israel's bridegroom. Adultery is the antithesis of this spousal relation and the opposite of marriage, also as an institution inasmuch as monogamous marriage actualizes in itself the interpersonal covenant of man and woman, and it realizes the covenant that is born from love and welcomed by both parties as a marriage, and recognize as such by society. This sort of covenant between two persons is the foundation of the union by which the man unites with his wife and the two will be one flesh. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. In the context mentioned above, one can say that this bodily unity is their right bilateral, but above all that it is the regular sign of the communion of persons, of the unity brought about between the man and the woman inasmuch as they are spouses. Adultery committed by either of them is not only the violation of this right, which belongs exclusively to the other spouse, but at the same time a radical falsification of the sign. It seems that the oracles of the prophets express precisely this aspect of adultery with sufficient clarity. When we say that adultery is a falsification of this sign, which finds not only its normativity, but rather its simple inner truth in marriage, that is, in the shared life of man and woman who have become spouses, we go back again in some way to the fundamental statements made above, because we consider them essential and important for the theology of the body from the anthropological as well as ethical point of view. Adultery is a sin of the body. The whole tradition of the Old Testament attests to this, and Christ confirms it. The comparative analysis of his words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, as well as various relevant statements in the Gospels and other passages of the New Testament, allow us to find the real reason for the sinfulness of adultery. It is evident that we find this reason for sinfulness of moral evil by relying on the principle of antithesis to the moral good of conjugal faithfulness, that good which can only be adequately realized in the exclusive relation between the two, that is, in the spousal relation between one man and one woman. The need for such a relationship is proper to spousal love, whose interpersonal structure, as we have shown already, is upheld by the inner normativity of the communion of persons. It is precisely this communion that gives the covenant its essential meaning, whether in the relation between man and woman, or by analogy, 
in the relation between Yahweh and Israel, one can judge about adultery, about its sinfulness, about the moral evil it contains on the basis of the principle of antithesis to the conjugal covenant understood in this way. We must keep all of this in mind when we say that adultery is a sin of the body. The body is here considered in the conceptual connection with the words of Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 that speak in fact about the man and the woman who unite so intimately with each other that they form one flesh. Adultery indicates the act by which a man and a woman who are not husband and wife form one flesh that is those who are not husband and wife in the sense of the monogamy established at the beginning rather than in the sense of the legal casuistry of the Old Testament. The sin of the body can be identified only in reference to the relationship between the persons. One can speak of moral good and evil according to whether this relationship makes such a unity of the body true, and whether or not it gives to that unity the character of a truthful sign. In this case, therefore, we can judge adultery as a sin in conformity with the act's objective content. And this is the content Christ has in mind when he recalls in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Yet Christ does not dwell on this aspect of the problem. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 37th catechesis, man and woman, he created them a theology of the body. No one could honestly accuse Pope John Paul II of being a prude or a Puritan in his presentations. He's focusing our attention on the words of Christ, how it was in the beginning, the intention of Almighty God, how the Lord Jesus appeals to the human heart, how he calls us to be pure of heart in our desires and in our deeds, alone and with others. He takes the commandments of God to the next level, not only you shall not commit adultery, but you shall not have a disordered desire for any other. Pope John Paul II shows the development of the doctrine regarding human sexuality, last time in the Torah and the law, and this time in the prophets, in the covenant. It's important for us to remember that Pope John Paul II is addressing the theology of the body through the words of Christ. What has our Lord said to us? And in part in the Sermon on the Mount, not only the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure of heart, but also that deepening of the commandment, not only not to commit adultery, but not to look with a disordered desire upon another. Our Lord takes the commandments of God to the next level, and he gives us the grace to keep the commandments and to keep the Beatitudes and to give him glory in our body, in our soul, and not to lead others down the primrose path to perdition, but by his grace he leads us to himself, to holiness in the here and now, and even in his mercy and grace to life with him on high around the throne of the Almighty, where we'll sing his praises for all eternity. Christ addresses the commandments, all of them, including you shall not commit adultery, including the sixth commandment. Pope John Paul II, in this 37th installment on the theology of the body, cites the prophet Ezekiel and reminds us that Ezekiel was inspired by God and 
rebuked the idolatry of Israel as if Israel was an adulterous wife receiving strangers. Israel knew the one only God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and to forsake the one only God for the false gods of the neighbors, this is analogous to adultery. Insofar as God is the bridegroom of his people, Israel, this is the progressive revelation leading up to Christ himself, bridegroom of Mother Church, the new Israel, the new people of God. The analogy between adultery and idolatry is strong and comprehensive because of the covenants, the covenant between God and Israel, between husband and wife. That's where the analogy is. As husband and wife are to be faithful to each other, so God is always faithful, and Israel, the people of God, are to be faithful to God. And when we backslide, when we worship false gods, it's as if we are adulterous. It is as if we are promiscuous rather than forsaking all others. Of old, the idolatry took place on the high places, and this false worship is likened to adultery in the covenant between God and Israel. Particular places for the marital embrace to occur, the nuptial chamber, the bedroom, the family home, not on the street, not in a brothel. The worship of God likewise takes place in particular places in the temple, in the synagogue, in the church, at the altar, the privileged place for that union between heaven and earth, between God and his people. Adultery is treated differently by the prophets. Ezekiel's already been mentioned, but there are other prophets. As compared with the treatment given to adultery in the law, in the Torah, in the earlier books of sacred scripture, the verdict is always the same. It is an abomination. It is a crime. It is wrong. It is never right. It is an offense against God and the nature he has given to us and our word which we have given to each other in holy marriage. Pope John Paul II points out that adultery is a sin because it is the breaking of the personal covenant between man and woman. And that is analogous to the personal covenant between the tri-personal God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that communion of persons which is Mother Church, or before the Incarnation even with Israel. Adultery is sin because it is the breaking of the personal covenant between man and woman, a covenant in which God is a part, not merely a human construct. Legalized polygamy does not change the ethical meaning of adultery. In an earlier presentation, Pope John Paul II pointed out how in the Torah, in the law, there were accommodations to the concupiscence of heart, the tendency to sin, which was a consequence of the fall of original sin. And so polygamy was checked by boundaries of the law. Pope John Paul II here is reminding us that even though it was tolerated because of the hardness of the heart, that's how Jesus describes it in the gospel, it does not change the ethical meaning of adultery. Adultery is still sin. It is still evil. It is still disordered. And not only in the time of Moses, not only in the time of our Lord before his saving death and resurrection, but even until he should return in glory, there is an ethical meaning of adultery, and it is a shortcoming.
It is a crime, an abomination. Adultery is the antithesis of the spousal relation and the opposite of marriage. What does Pope John Paul II mean when he says this? Well, if adultery is the antithesis, antithesis of the spousal relation, it is antithetical to the spousal relation because the spousal relation is one of truth, is one of fidelity, is one of purity and holiness, and adultery is none of those. And so adultery is the opposite of marriage, an offense against marriage, a crime against holy marriage, a crime against the truth, a crime against chastity and purity. Pope John Paul II teaches that Adultery committed by either the man or the woman is not only a violation of the bilateral right to bodily union, unity, which belongs exclusively to the other spouse, but it is at the same time a radical falsification of the sign. So, unlike a spirit of machismo, it's either or. Either the man is committing adultery or the woman is committing adultery. Either way, it's it's not a pass for the man. It's not a pass for the woman. Both are called to holiness. Both are called to chastity. Both are called to purity and fidelity and love in truth. And adultery is a false love. It's a falsification of the sign because our gestures, our bodily action speak volumes. Remember, I extend my hand and we shake sign of friendship. I pat you on the back, sign of friendship. You're struck in the eye with a fist, a sign of aggression, a sign of violence. Our actions speak loudly, and adultery speaks volumes against holy marriage, a falsification of the unity of husband and wife. It's a bilateral right to bodily unity. The bodily union of husband and wife, the two shall become one flesh, This is from the Torah. This is from the law. The paying of the marriage debt. The wife has the right to her husband's body exclusively, and he to his wife. An exclusive bilateral right. Him for her, her for him. But a falsification of the sign. Imagine you're trying to drive from, let's say, Knoxville to Louisville, and they turn the sign around, and you end up in Florida because I-75 goes north and south. That would be a falsification of the sign, and you go the wrong way. The sacraments are signs instituted by Christ and trusted to the church to give grace, and marriage is one of those signs. And this man and that woman, this husband, this wife, they are part of the sign of marriage, not just their rings, but their authentic love for each other, not just the conjugal act, but even heart to heart. Whoever looks with a disordered desire upon the other has committed adultery in the heart, Jesus says, and Pope John Paul repeats, that we might know the truth which sets us free, the truth about holy marriage, not a false sign of marriage, adultery, not a false sign of marriage, promiscuity, not a false sign of marriage, any other sort of relationship which is not that between husband and wife, this man and that woman, except no imitations, prefer the way God established holy marriage, as one of the original blessings not forfeited by the flood or the fall, but even raised to the dignity of a sacrament 
by our Lord at Cana when he blessed that young couple at the request of his mother, who had noticed they had no wine. And when the Lord Jesus changed the water into wine, and it was better than any which could have been had, it was a prefiguration of his own wedding banquet, that nuptial feast which is to endure until he returns in glory, when he changes not only water into wine, but wine into his very self, and bread too in the Eucharist which is the wedding feast of the Lamb who is Christ, the Lamb who is slain, who dies no more, his very body and blood given up for us as the faithful bridegroom, that we as Mother Church not be a wayward bride, adulterous in our behavior, receiving strangers, but safeguarding and keeping intact the purity of the doctrine handed on once for all the saints including the doctrine on marriage, including the doctrine on chastity and modesty and purity. Pope John Paul II reminds us in this installment, number 37 of the Theology of the Body, that adultery is a sin of the body. He does not say this in a Manichaean or a Gnostic manner or fashion. Spirit is good, the body is bad. We are embodied, incarnate spirits. The body expresses the person. And so when Pope John Paul II speaks about adultery being a sin of the body, it's because the body is a part of it. But even before there is a carnal act, an act in the body, the sin of adultery, there's the disordered desire which our Lord addresses in the Sermon on the Mount. Whoever looks with the disordered desire upon the other has already committed adultery. And that will be the next catechesis Pope John Paul II will address the paradigm shift, not just to not commit adultery, you have heard it said, but the Lord Jesus takes it to the next level. Whoever looks with lust upon the other. So now adultery is not only a sin of the body, but it is also a sin of the heart, a sin of the soul, a sin of the spirit, a sin of our will, disordered. And Christ has come to conquer, to overcome our disordered desires, our disordered ordered activities. Christ has come to make us saints, and by his grace and our cooperation with his grace, by our responding to his call to holiness, it is possible. Pope John Paul II teaches us that the words of Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount and other passages in the Gospel and New Testament allow us to find the real reason for the sinfulness of adultery. So Pope John Paul II's teaching is holistic. It's not just fixated on one or another passage, but he's looking at the scripture writ large in the Torah, in the prophets, in the wisdom books, in the Sermon on the Mount, throughout the Gospel, throughout the New Testament. Our Lord is calling us to holiness. And part of the Lord's universal call to holiness, some, indeed most, are called to holy marriage. That union of one man and one woman for life, open to life, till death do they part, in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, to have and to hold, forsaking all others. This is part of our Lord's public mission on earth, a public mission which is continued by his bride, Mother Church. For husband and wife to be one, not only in body but in heart, a communion of persons mirroring that communion of persons who is God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Holy Trinity. There are many things Pope John Paul II addresses in this 37th Catechesis, 
man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body. So many of the things I've spoken about today have addressed adultery, that crime against the sixth commandment, which our Lord does not restrict only to the bodily aspect. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, I say. Whoever looks with a disordered desire has already committed adultery in the heart. Pope John Paul II addresses many other things in this catechesis, and one thing, still touching on adultery, concerns judgment. With our natural intelligence, we're able to recognize certain truths, the natural law. E equals mc squared, H2O. An object of motion tends to stay in motion unless it is met with equal or greater resistance. These are things we can know. And Pope John Paul II has this to say about adultery. One can judge about adultery, about its sinfulness, about the moral evil it contains, on the basis of the principle of antithesis to the conjugal covenant understood as communion of persons. Pope John Paul II acknowledges that the words of Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount, the other passages of the Gospel, the New Testament, all help us. Divine revelation, the prophets of old, the Torah. But even with the natural light of our human intelligence, our natural understanding, reason, with this we're able to grasp what good we should do and what evil we should avoid to the glory of God and to our salvation. Until next time, God bless you.